0: the five dynamics of leadership so if, if you remember the first one was the art of compromise and we saw that a leader needs to empower others that Yoshua, the Rashi explains the reason he was chosen is that he was able to relate to every single person and every person felt they were they could approach the, the leader, and a capital T, the leader. And that, that's a very, very, very important thing. And then we learned that there's a fine line, a very fine line, between being able to facilitate compromise and yet not compromise one's ideals and one's red lines. And this is where I would say the nitty-gritty battle happens because you want to please everyone, you want to uh, kind of give everyone what they want, but you can't all the time. It's impossible without compromising your ideals. So there's always that that balance, that uh, accounting of how to compromise without compromising your fundamentals. So that's, that was just a, a review. Anyway, so the next one is called the drive for wholeness. The first one is motivated by peace. So in Hebrew, the word for peace also means hope, shalem. Therefore, a leader has to manifest a vision. And that's part of the leadership in in places all over the world is that most leaders are perceived as politicians. They don't really have a vision. They they hook into things, but they don't really have a vision. They they want to be a politician. They want to get a taste of power. And they'll say whatever they have to say to... um, to get elected this is this is the leadership crisis that's happening happening everywhere and the jewish idea is again that the people come to the leader it's a completely different dynamic it's not like the, the leaders trying to get elected but in our first session we went through a whole series of jewish leaders where they ran from the leadership, but people came to them why? Because they have a vision, and they, they and people want to be inspired. People want leadership. People want someone to not to follow blindly, but that they can um, they can share their vision. Now, obviously, if someone uh, speaks out a vision and people relate to it they're going to want to be a part of that and so the idea of wholeness is and this is also tricky a leader has to be a realist and yet many times the vision is based on a very idealistic concept of the world so how do you bridge that gap and that's what the leader has to do the leader has to show the best of, of humankind the most optimistic uh, ideal of what let's say Am can achieve or what our community can achieve and all the time though not be naive not be naive so that's a, let's say the vision of the prophets On one hand, all of the prophets spoke about the Messianic era and brotherhood and peace and everyone being fed and no jealousy and no hatred, no war. And then they turn around and they chastise the people for the real lackings of the day. And they have to do both have to be realistic about what's really happening here and at the same time give people hope for the future. The truth is Judaism is extremely optimistic. As a very optimistic streak, a, a messianic streak. The the Christian and Islam versions of where the world is going is is taken from our prophets it's very very clear in fact even in Islam and even in Christianity the the Old Testament and and all of our prophets are their prophets as well because they showed a vision of where mankind can be going the Jewish vision is always focused on a messianic era and and a belief that it can happen theoretically at any time and so this is very very connected at at Mount Sinai right before we received the Torah God said to the Jewish people that you are a nation of priests and a holy nation so everyone asks what does it mean a nation of priests we are not all calling it means a nation of leaders that the Jewish people are meant to be a leader nation and this is the idea of being a light into the nation. now we also have a fine line here between being arrogant about that and misusing that idea and using it in its proper perspective we talk a lot about how many Jews are involved in the chesed and the different isms for freedom and liberty and equality? Because this is—it's in our blood. It's far beyond religion. It's just—it's just the way we are. We are raised is to make a difference in, in the world. And then the next dynamic. Each one kind of leads into the next is the connection between inspiration and compassion. So, the, the the first is the art of compromise, the drive for wholeness or vision. This one is compassion. Compassion and inspiration. The fourth is the ability to integrate the reality of the world into a concrete and coherent plan whether it's one school community nation or the whole world as how to reach these ideals in other words have a, an actual model and plan that takes into consideration the what we said today the, the actual technological state of the world and can use that towards putting a vision into reality that's what we take up to then It's it's compromise, inspiration, compassion, vision. But by the fourth one is okay, now it has there has to be a plan. There has to be an actual organizational thrust to make it happen. And That's what we're gonna, we're gonna learn here with, with inspiration and compassion. Extremely important idea. That in Judaism we're taught that through different verses that compassion and inspiration are tied together. That's the link. Because usually we wouldn't make that connection. Inspiration is you look at a beautiful picture and you're inspired. You stand on the top of a mountain and you're inspired. You go to a great concert and you're inspired. What does that have to do with compassion? (coughs) There are a number of verses that link inspiration with compassion. And so therefore we're told that when we're inspired, in a Jewish sense, when we're inspired, it should elicit in us compassion for the world. And th- in other things, if not inspiration is a very kind of like ego-driven thing. Right? So I go to the top of the mountain and like, wow, this is, I'm really inspired. I'm really inspired. Well, I'm going to go home and and paint the picture. But here we're told that that inspiration is supposed to inspire us to have compassion. And so we're told So, on what different levels does this compassion manifest itself? We're told on three levels. One, on every human being we should have compassion that All of our souls came from a spiritual, pure place. And now we are in a physical body, in a physical world with lots of problems. And that we should have compassion on every single human being for being in what what we'll call the, the same existential reality we're all kind of like in the same boat and that should elicit compassion for us Uh, just like each one knows their own thousand problems we should have compassion on everyone else's thousand problems the second is to have compassion for Israel we should feel a collective destiny the first one is humanity that we feel a certain destiny with all humanity, we should feel a, an enormous amount of compassion for the Jewish people. When we look at our history, when we look at our, our, our situation today, that we need to feel a lot of compassion for the Jewish people. And then the third one is, is well this gets a little bit more um, mystical but what's called uh, to feel for the exile of the Shekhinah. And we're told in a mystical tradition that mirroring the exile of the Jewish people is, as it were, God is not complete either until the final redemption. We learn this from an important Rashi. If you remember, after the battle with Amalek and we beat Amalek and so God says write this in a, 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 a sefer and teach it to your children it says Yad Ka A hand is on the throne of God that there will be war with Amalek from generation to generation meaning until the final redemption. So Rashi points out the language Yad Al-Keska. He says it should say a hand on the Kisei. Now the word Kisei, chair, throne, is written without a letter. And God's name, yud key is only written with the first two letters, Yud-Key. It says, very rare in the Torah. So Rashi explained an amazing Rashi, which says this is to teach us that until Amalek, which is, we'll call it just evil, until evil is wiped out of the world, so we're told that mystically this was called the exile of the Supreme, and that we should feel. this is is an interesting, if you've never heard of this concept, this is an interesting concept that we should have compassion on God. Just like we want God to have compassion on us, we should have compassion on God that the kind of world that we believe that he would like if everyone exercised their free will in the right way, the fact that his world is such a mess that we should have compassion on God. So the, the next step is okay now I have compassion on all of humanity on God and the Jewish people but what that means in a Jewish sense and this is the critical point compassion by definition means action in other words we can feel empathy we can feel compassion and really feel it really feel it but not do anything about it. In other words, the example is we people watch the news every night about Darfur. Just using it, this is as an example, and really feel like this is terrible, right? Seeing the pictures, i like, this is terrible that this should be happening in you know year 2007 when there's plenty of food in the world really, and we were supposed to have learned from the Holocaust that genocide not to I I really feel bad. And then, do absolutely nothing for it. Even writing a $5 check is doing something. So we're told that in a Jewish sense, compassion demands action. Demands action. And this makes the difference between a leader and someone who's, who's not a leader. A leader, when they feel compassion or they have a vision, they're driven to put it into practice. Moshe, we're told, was driven by compassion. He's he's the prince of Egypt. He sees a, a, an Egyptian killing a Jew, and he risks everything to save him because what? Just without he didn't think about it. He he was overwhelmed of feeling compassion he goes to the desert he sees these young women are being kind of like pushed around by these shepherds and is like a, he's he named his first son a, a str- from a stranger in a strange land he goes and he defends him right he's all by himself there and he defends him and then we're told how did he end up by the burning bush beautiful midrash is, but there's an addition to it that we don't know is that he, a sheep ran away from his herd. And instead of giving one of the shepherds the job of finding his herd, he felt responsible. He went looking for the, the sheep. He finds the sheep drinking water by a rock. It was a like a cleft that had caught a little water. And he sees the, the, the sheep drinking. So he said, Hey, now I know why you ran away. I didn't provide you with water. Now he took. Now I didn't find the sheep, but he took responsibility for it running away. And then he puts it on his shoulder. He so said, "You must be tired, having run away." He puts it on his shoulder, and he's walking back. So the midrash says, of course, God is watching this whole thing, and says, "This is the shepherd that I want for my sheep." a beautiful midrash but each part of it is telling us something and as he's walking back according to the midrash that's when the, the, the burning bush happens that's why he was out there and that's how the burning bush happened and then he, okay, he fights with God he doesn't want to take it because he was so humble he didn't think he could do it but once he takes the job on he becomes the great defender of Israel. A number of times God says, like, move out of the way. Remember we learned this? And let me destroy the people and make a new people out of you. And, and Moshe, he, he defends the people. That was once he he, he felt his compassion for the Jewish people. That was his driving for so that's like one example we see it throughout Moshe's life and then the next one which in a sense becomes the most uh, applicable and, and practical is the, the drive for integration being able to take like I said before inspiration vision compassion and come up with an actual plan and the last one this is called a sense of folly and this sense is what I call being able to think outside of the box in, in critical moments being able to really go beyond what you think is possible when anything is possible and at the spur of the moment make something happen when it's not happening or it's going in the wrong direction That takes a leader and this is also connected with the idea of joy this becomes a very 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 important ingredient in leadership is a sense of joy I'm going to leave it at that I just thank everyone for coming